Welcome to Energy Radio. Today's episode is episode 55, and uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Lisa Barber. Lisa, welcome to Energy Radio. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. And you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. I'm looking forward to, uh, as always, a good discussion. Uh, our Today's guest comes uh, highly recommended from a previous guest, which is always a bonus. So I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you the honors to uh, welcome our guest to the show this morning. Yeah, no problem. Well, good morning, Graham, and welcome. Uh, so for our listeners, Graham uh, is, his last name is Graham, it's Graham Seaman. He's the Director of Sustainability and Asset Management from the City of Markham. Welcome, Graham. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited. This is uh, my first uh, radio podcast. Great. Well, as I mentioned, my, uh, my colleague uh, heard you speak, I guess, about a a month and a half ago and said, Lisa, you guys have to have uh, Graham on the podcast. So we're looking forward to the discussion today. Sure. Okay. Well, I I, uh, I did a little research and I listened in and uh, I'm looking forward to a fun and interesting discussion. Great. Awesome. Well, we, we normally start this off, Graham, by uh, kind of asking for our, uh, our guests' background. So, you know, you've been with the city of Markham for about 12 years. Can you give us a a bit of an understanding of how you kind of worked up to uh, to that position. I think you've held various positions there, and maybe just got what you got got you into energy as a as a starting point. Sure, no problem. It's um, yeah, it was probably like a lot of people. I uh, I had got an engineering degree from McMaster, and I graduated and went into industry right away. Um, <clears throat> I had the job waiting for me. I was lucky at that time and uh, worked in a factory as a, as a mechanical engineer. I studied materials engineering and um, for about four years and I was doing some volunteer work on the side with Engineers Without Borders and I had a number of friends that were in the arts and kind of into sustainability and community because it was just developing. This would have been 20 years ago, 2001 when I graduated. Um, so I'm almost at 20 years in my career now. And um, I left that organization. I went to another one and I was really kind of dissatisfied with the organization. I just didn't like the business, um, nor some of the leadership there. And I was like, you know, really had a kind of reckoning moment. What do I want to do with my life? Do I want to continue to like make widgets uh, or do I want to use my skills and make things better? And I'd had a taste of sustainability. And so I, I made a focus to go work in sustainability and it took me a while but um my first gig in sustainability was with earth rangers um an ngo uh founded by robert shad who founded husky injection molding so um mm. you know really motivated wealthy benefactor uh was a crazy experience robert shad probably the toughest pe toughest person i've ever worked for and one of the you know legendary hard hard tough european style executives um, so I learned a ton from him. Uh, I thought I was going to get fired every day for a while, but uh, <laughs> I, I stepped up my game. I won him over. Um, and then through that, I, I met tons of people. I, you know, honed my skills, got good at sustainability, did some cool stuff there. Um, met some people from Markham at one point. They came for a tour of the Earth Rangers Center, which is a demo site uh, for sustainable technologies. And, and they liked me and they invited me to compete for a job there. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That is you know, going from this little building that I'm working on and kind of influencing decisions of other people to working at a city scale. Uh, and so it was a big step in, in, you know, magnifying what I was capable of influencing. And so I took that on, I entered as a manager. Um, <clears throat> I was able to move into the senior manager role when the director at the time left. Uh, then I moved into director of sustainability and then a few years ago, they uh, they made some they did a reorg and they um, they gave me a whole bunch of more people. So I've got a team of thirty now, wow. and uh, as director of sustainability and asset management. So I still have sustainability, and we focus on community energy, uh, community sustainability, corporate energy. I also have corporate security. I have major facility project delivery. I've got asset management planning. I've got facility operations. I've got space planning. So. Um, it's actually a really interesting position from which to make a lot of change um, and try to, because um, we do a lot of evolution. We don't do a lot of policy. We do a lot of on the fly change. It's it's pretty entrepreneurial at Markham. So we're, we're constantly just moving the bar forward. You know, I was looking at, uh, we had to replace a, a, a gas range in a fire station. I was like, okay guys, like, should we move this to an electric range? 
and what's the cost and what's the business case and you know so it's uh just evolving things through and so it's uh, it's really interesting it's constantly dynamic um cities are messy organic things um <laughs> I, and i never thought i'd be a public servant but it is a lot of fun and very interesting no that's that's great i guess a follow-up observation or, or thought graham you know as i as i look at both sustainability and asset management um it strikes me that that is um a pretty wise uh, alignment of, of putting the two together I, I would imagine in other whether municipalities or other large um, institutional type environments there might be you know that might be two different folks but does the does the amalgamation of both initiatives under uh, your leadership um, allow you to do more perhaps oh sure it it magnifies it so you know with with every project that we undertake i'm i'm looking at okay how can we make that more sustainable um how can we reduce the energy use how can we uh, make it last longer right because you end up using less materials less energy so um yeah it's uh and and you're right it is um it, it's a big intersection that's really developing now. In fact, I was just participating in a conference by Asset Management Ontario where they were talking about the intersection of asset management and climate change. And that was the, the entire impetus. And I gave a presentation on climate change mitigation and how you can use asset management to do that. Um, a lot of the focus was on asset management of adaptation. So how do we harden our infrastructure so that we're ready for what climate change will bring? Um, but, uh, you know, we've been oh, last like, five years, six years, every time we have a life cycle renewal for an HVAC asset or a lighting asset, our energy manager dives in and looks at what's the opportunity to improve the efficiency of that? What are the incentives available? What's the business case? Can we put renewables in there? Or can we get at least like solar ready or EV ready if we have to as we're touching it? So we try to like forward look and make ourselves uh, ready for, for the differences, but certainly, um, you know, changing out our assets and making them more efficient as we go rather than replacing them like for like has been very, very effective for us because we don't usually have to put more money in than we already plan to. Right, right. And and so presumably you're applying um, more criteria to the evaluation uh, than we might have five, ten years ago in terms of uh, an asset renewal decision. You're, you're You're broadening the envelope of things you're looking at. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's probably core of your business. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's 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 exciting and quite frankly refreshing to see uh, those two. Uh, often, an asset renewal uh, decision is made based on uh, you know um, you know what what what's the lowest you know life cycle cost you know on on a purely dollars basis and and you know doesn't have that because because we're making decisions about assets that hopefully will you know survive twenty thirty years. Uh, you're making a pretty big commitment, and so to broaden the envelope and and have somebody with your level of leadership able to do that uh, is, is a refreshing, um, a refreshing, a refreshing thing to come across. So, uh, Lisa, I think you want to kind of table up the next question, but we now know why uh, Steve uh, advocated for Graham because, uh, like yeah. Steve, like Steve and I, he's a Mac grad, so uh, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're in good company today. So, yeah, that must have formed part of the decision for sure. Um, <laughs> So, so Graham, I think, you know, you mentioned this earlier, but you were talking about change within the city. And uh, I think one of the things that you guys have developed is, or the city of Markham has developed is a municipal energy plan. Can you talk to us about what that looks like maybe at the 50,000 kind of foot level? Sure. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, we endorsed, uh, we started working on it probably, and these things take time, right? This is a, this is a big plan. We started working on it, I think in 2015, we had it endorsed by our council in 2018. So it took a little long. Um, we used, uh, and I'm thinking about this now, like the baseline data that we had is 10 years old now. Um, wow. So we, we really got to fix it. We've really got to update it, but it's still the, the, the trends and directions that it gives us are, are, are really helpful. So we had a big uh, stakeholder group that worked with us. Over 50 people uh, advised us on developing this, um, this plan. Uh, and they were from the, the school boards. They were from the business sector. They were from our utilities, uh, Electra, uh, Enbridge, Markham District Energy, which is our district energy company that the city owns, mm -hmm. uh, you know, community members. And we came up with uh, a plan for net zero energy emissions. So net zero emissions by 2050. 
Uh, we had a really strong consultant sustainability solutions group work with us on that and developing it. And, um, you know, it was it was early. It was 2018 when this was endorsed by our council. It was still a little early. It was it was ambitious. Um, it's still really uh, a challenge to get there uh, with a municipality like Markham that's growing so fast. Where population is likely going to double from 360,000 to over 700,000 by 2051. Um, wow. That's the latest projections. Yeah, there's a lot of growth. There's still a lot of greenfield to go. Uh, and it's how do we change that? How do we make um, each new resident in Markham more efficient than the last one that joined. So we were mm -hmm. trying to reduce on a per resident basis because, you know, uh, uh, the reduction overall is going to be very challenging, but that's our current objective. And I mean, at a very, very high level, what it means is that we're going to use less energy. So, you know, we're going to conserve energy. We're going to be more efficient with our energy use. We're going to generate more local renewable energy. Um, right now, and we're just finishing it, we have 2.1 megawatts of uh, solar rooftop, uh, mm. over 10 uh, facilities in Markham, and it's a mix of us owned, um, fit contracts and leases uh, to Electra that we have. And actually, you'd be interested, we use the revenue from those, um, those leases and the fit revenue to invest in um, our next phase of energy conservation. So we have a revolving fund that we put that revenue into, and then we draw our capital out of that for our energy conservation and uh, and new renewable energy projects. Cool. Wow. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty neat. We've we've got, you know, it's we've got a lot of things going on in Markham. There's a there's a team of three um, for just corporate energy, uh, and then the last thing, and this is really important, um, is to switch from fossil fuels. So we need to get off of fossil fuels. We need to move to electricity. Um, we need to move to heat pumps. We need to move to electric vehicles. Um, and uh, so getting the fossil fuels out is really what the focus is on um, the net zero emissions by 2050 for us. And we do have a definition that allows for offsets. Um, we, we want it to be pretty open. Enbridge has actually been a really great partner. Our natural gas distributor has been a really great partner for Markham for a number of years. And so we didn't want to... Um, you know, feel any uh, anybody feel like they were left out of our definition. So offsets uh, are certainly um, part of the part of the plan. So it sounds like Graham is part of the definition. You guys are looking at scope one, two, and three emissions, right? Yeah, I mean, we're really focused on one and two right now, ours and and indirect. Yeah. Um, scope three is going to be our next evolution, looking at our supply chain and looking at like. You know, what's the entrained carbon or the carbon that's produced from um, our construction? Oh, that's great. Are you still there, Graham? I'm here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, on the, I'm, I'm curious on this scope too to dive a little deeper. So does that include emissions from assets owned and operated by the corporation of the city of Markham, or does that include all of the the residents? Does it include all the industries and institutions? Like, uh, okay, so there's there's two there's two spheres that we look at with that. Um, there's corporate emissions, which is this from the city's operations. So our facilities, our fleet, uh, and this is kind of a term that we use in municipal sustainability. So corporate emissions are what come from us. Uh, and then community emissions are everybody outside of that, um, but within the borders of Markham and includes us, uh, mm -hmm. our operations. So uh, the baseline that we laid down, um, it had it showed that we had 1.8 million metric or 1.8 million tons of GHG emissions from the city. So that's the entire within the borders of Markham um, mm -hmm. in 2011, based on the utility bills, the gas sales all of that data. It was a big data collection. Um, and, you know, we've been working with those, uh, the utilities to try to get better and faster. And so we're going to, we're looking to do a, an annual or every second year update going forward. Uh, and then when you look at the corporate, that's just the city's emissions. And our last report from 2019, uh, we were about 18,000 tons of GHGs coming out of the city's own operations. So for our rinks, our admin buildings and our fleet. And, and Graham, you mentioned the Markham District Energy Plant, which of course is um, essentially a combined heat and power units that are operating currently on fossil fuel. And then you mentioned also that, you know, you're you're looking to get off fossil fuels. Are, are you going to be looking to keep that plant 
perhaps operating on alternative fuels like renewable natural gas delivered through the pipeline? Or what's the long-term strategy for that plant? Yeah, um, so that's a, Markham District Energy is a separate business owned by the city. So they have their own board. Uh, I'm able to wield a fair amount of influence with them because I sit as our sustainability officer for our holding company, Markham Enterprise Corporation. Okay. Um, and they're, they're working on plans to move towards um, emissions reductions really significantly. Uh, I mean, already you probably know district energy offers a fairly significant reduction over like say business as usual, individual buildings uh, having their own heating and cooling packages. So there's a good savings off that. And yeah, the pipes are going to ground and so the technology can be pretty plug and play at the plant to change out. So yeah, they have a fair bit. I think they got like 14 megawatts of CHP and they're serving uh, probably over 10 million square feet of facility, including Markham Stouffville Hospital now. So there's there's a lot on the platform um, that can be done. And we're gonna, Markham is pretty, we like to be pretty savvy about these things. So, you know, and it really is kind of like our asset management approach. As district, as Markham District Energy is probably looking at renewal of those assets, they're gonna start thinking about how do I get you know, lower emissions, but the same kind of punch of energy production in the community uh, in this way. And I don't know what that's going to look like. There's talk of uh, biomass um, from them. There's talk mm -hmm. of tapping into, um, there's a very large uh, sewer, um, district sewer from York region that passes below one of the properties that they're on that they could tap into for waste heat recovery. So there's a lot of options on and they're studying them and they're, they're looking at getting funding to, uh, to go deeper. Um, but certainly they are seized with the city's objective of net zero emissions by 2050, and they're actively trying to figure out how to get there. The reference to sewer waste heat recovery uh, reminds me of the, there was a recent announcement about the UHN site in Toronto that is doing a, a big uh, heat recovery project. Uh, and I don't know if either of you are familiar with that, but a pretty, pretty cool uh, story mm -hmm. of, of how to, how to pull heat um, out of, out of, you know, waste uh, that's running through the ground at, at high enough temperatures that we can we can pull some out of it. So uh, that's very 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 exciting. Thanks for teasing some of those uh, those opportunities, Graham. So to come back to the the net zero and and the your definitions around community and corporate, um, no, uh, yeah, corporate and community. So uh, one question that just so I'm clear, it, it was 1.8 million on the community side and 18,000 on the corporate. Did I hear those numbers that's right? Correct. That's yeah. right. And, and so is the net zero goal uh, corporate emissions or is it community? Is it the broader? Um, it's said uh, so the municipal energy plan was for the community. Wow. So for our, our whole like 360,000 residents, all the businesses, the industries, the cars, that's that's what the municipal energy plan is. That's that one point eight, um, you know, mil a million tons of GHGs that we need to attack uh, to get down um and so yeah it's a it's a it's a bhag it's a big hairy audacious goal uh, <laughs> I love and it. uh and it's um <clears throat> it's a challenge and and you know it's so big that we we slice it up um we have a portfolio approach uh and and it works on both the community and the corporate side but i think community side has been pretty interesting we've really gone after new development um you know i talked about how fast our community is growing um, when we were finishing up the municipal energy plan, um, a new development with probably, you know, 18,000 homes, there might be about 38,000 people living in it, um, was just kind of coming through the pipeline move at the master development plan. It's four concessions. It's quite large. Um, so in conversation with our consultants, they're like, Graham, you have to get to that new development. Now you have to make it net zero now. Um, now that was really ambitious. Um, and I'm a real optimist. So I plowed in on that and, uh, I lost my, almost lost my head once or twice, ended up in the mayor's office, um, trying to mediate, uh, some compromises between, um, myself and, and the developers that are, uh, you know, very powerful people, very politically, um, savvy and, uh, you know, they were able to make the call. And, and so we got called in and the mayor proposed, um, a you know why don't we do a few things and then set up a pilot program um for you guys to really advance so we went back and we got to work 
Uh, I learned a lot about development and the challenges with respect to development. Um, it's somewhat um, of a brittle system in that the developers, the builders, they're not heavily integrated. They use a lot of contractors um, and teams external. So their ability to drive change through their value chain is, is very difficult. So I came to understand that and you know their, their business impetus and things like that. So we got to um, a level where we kind of net zero ready ish uh and their homes are uh, about eight percent more efficient than current building code and we really focused on on the building envelope um so mm -hmm. windows uh exterior insulation um air tightness stuff like that and they agreed to that <clears throat> so that's a really good start because you know as you're changing out your furnaces as you're changing out your water heater as you're changing out your appliances because those things will change out more then you'll ever probably touch the exterior of a building. They'll cycle through maybe once or twice uh, on a furnace or an HVAC system um, by 2050. So these buildings will be closer being ready. And you know, with air source heat pump technology coming along so great, there's I think that we will be able to be in a pretty good position for these guys to um, not have to have heavy, heavy retrofits come close to 2050. But the, the other thing that we did um, was the pilot uh, and they seem to be really gelling around the pilot um, and that they're going to try a lot of these technologies that they were you know they were adverse to um, so triple pane windows they're not that difficult but they are heavier um, so they have to you know think about what the wall system looks like how they handle them how they move them around these are some of the things that I heard um, you know how do you how do you build an airtight building with brick and, and kind of standard stick build and things like that so they're going to learn a lot through the pilot, but the really interesting thing about <clears throat> this whole program was that we had Mattamy, um, who's a really big builder, and they yeah. brought N-Wave, which is the district energy company in downtown Toronto and also like nationally, um, and they had a real, they had a great idea. They're like, you know, we want to build a 300 plus um, new community in Markham that has a geo exchange district energy system. Mm. And so we had Mattamy at the one end kind of leading the charge and doing like really cool uh, and being very ambitious with their objectives on sustainability, energy and emissions. And then the other developers that are kind of like lagging and, and really trying to figure out how to do it. And so we've, we've got this really neat um, intersection of uh of pilot and technology and development happening now in markham with respect to new construction and new development talk to us uh, to, just to kind of build on that graham you, you mentioned earlier on when you started in 2015 on your plan you you did a lot of stakeholdering i think you mentioned 50 plus you know participants at the table talk mm -hmm. to us about the importance of stakeholdering and and from my vantage point you know, municipalities have always had a a real whether you talk about you know district energy or or these things that are multi year decision making that the 20, 30 year time horizons. You know, the, there is an opportunity for municipalities to take a significant leadership role. On the flip side, you know, I don't think municipalities want to curb development and and they don't want to be seen as you know dictating you know how everything must happen. So. You know, there's a unique opportunity to lead at the same time, you know, you want to allow things to go. So talk to us about the importance of stakeholdering and some of the stuff that you're doing. That's a great question, Matt. I, I think like it, it, it's as simple as these problems are so big and so challenging. They're BHAGs, as I said, um, that we cannot solve it ourselves. We need help. We need people to be with us in this. And so the stakeholdering does a couple of things. It educates, it raises awareness, and ideally, if you're doing it well, they understand and they become part of the solution. Mm. You know, they may they may come in and saying, "This isn't for me. I don't like this. I can't do this. It's too different. It's going to cost me too much. It's going to affect my bottom line. My profit margins are going to be off. Whatever, right?" Um, but the if you do stakeholdering well you bring everybody along and they become part of the solution they are uh providing their ideas they're providing their input and for me what i really look for when i'm undertaking stakeholdering and it, it really takes a lot of active listening is to understand what are your barriers to achieving this and what can i do to reduce those barriers mm. 
Graham, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the technologies that you guys are thinking might need to be deployed to reach this net zero target. You know, what technologies are you looking for? And then maybe in addition to that, you know, a big part of that kind of comes down to the kind of what you were talking about earlier. You know, there's there's a financial piece there. So if if you guys are targeting, you know, the residential communities or, uh, you know, other market segments, how do you expect, I guess, people to be, you know, purchasing those technologies so that you can get to, you know, that end goal? Sure. Um, so on the technologies, I think there's two that are pretty critical. Um, and, and we actually, as part of uh, the the work in our future urban area with those developers, we had a study done to, and it's kind of a, a no duh, but um, if you remove fossil fuels from heating, and if you remove fossil fuels from transportation, and that was really a good aha moment for our, our, our development partners um, from this study, then you really, that's the, those are the biggest challenges. And so you have to go after those. And there's a few technologies that are available um, that I think are getting better and better every day. Um, air source heat pumps are one, ground source heat pumps or geo exchange would be a second. And then of course, electric vehicles. But you know, I, I would be remiss. And you know, we talked about being cyclists and active transportation. Um, active transportation, uh, public transportation are just as important, if not more important than electric vehicles, because there's still cars on the road, there's still congestion, um, mm -hmm. there's still materials that are being produced, bicycles and, and um, active transportation, walking um, and public transportation are still probably your, your best uh, opportunities for emission reductions. But unfortunately, Markham is um, a fairly low density community. Uh, we are building you know, downtown centers and things like that. But still, the the um, it just doesn't support public transportation as much. So, um, yeah, heat pumps uh, I think are are going to be a big thing. In fact, I was uh, talking. I did a presentation at the ISO probably two years ago. It was pre-pandemic, um, and I said, "You guys better be looking at what's what heat pumps are going to do to the electricity system." Um, I think it could shift the peaks. Uh, we might be looking mm -hmm. at winter peaking on electricity rather than summer peaking, especially if like, you know, if I have my way, I'm going to get a lot of heat pumps going in Markham. Um, the 312 homes with Mattamy and N-Wave on their geo exchange is just a start, if you ask me. Uh, and then, of course, electric vehicles. Um, I have an EV. Uh, we have uh, a pretty good program of um, working with Electra, our utility with respect to EV infrastructure. We've got a, a handful in our fleet and we're kind of now wrestling with how do we really transition our fleet um, to be uh, low emissions or zero emissions. Graham, we're, that whole electrification piece, and I, I'm, I'm very excited about it too, but do, do you see it, and it has to play a massive role in what we do, but do, do you see it having limits in, in certain applications or in, you know, at a certain level of build out, uh, you mentioned it to the IESO. I mean, do you see some some limits with electrification? <clears throat> um, we have a bit of a, like you're talking like uh, supply, perhaps of electricity. Yeah, I, I think particularly from a supply perspective. From a supply perspective, yeah. So one of the things, <laughs> and, and this was kind of helpful to us, is that this new development in Markham is actually driving the need for additional um, transmission infrastructure mm. um, in Markham. And so one of the things we focused on is, okay, so if we can reduce the emissions, sorry, um, if we can reduce the overall energy use by more efficient buildings, then this should help out. But we also have the acknowledgement that we're... Um, we could have a have a supply challenge, so you know balancing all of those um, can be a challenge, and that's why I, I when I went to the ISO, I was like, you know, um, they gave me a, a podium to talk at, and I said, you guys got to really think about this uh, and solve these problems. I don't want them to be a barrier to mm -hmm. me achieving my emissions targets. Do you think, Graham, that you know because of some of those potential barriers that we might hit, you know, with the growth of you know, electric vehicles and um, just electrification in general. Do do you guys have a bit of a contingency plan kind of in place where you know maybe you're going to need to start to look at still renewable fuels like maybe hydrogen or renewable natural gas to fuel, for example, furnaces or boilers instead of converting them to electric appliances, or is that 
is is the shift towards electrification really kind of the direction that Markham is trying to head in? We're certainly trying to head that way, but you know, it's interesting. Um, and, and I had mentioned that Enbridge has been a really great partner. So they have their, um, they have their training center in Markham and there they placed a bit of a technology pilot. So they have a, I think it's a one megawatt fuel cell by Hydrogenics um, that uh, is on, uh, it's part, it's a fast reacting device. So it can take a load really quick. I didn't know that about fuel cells, by the way. Uh, so they have an ISO contract to help with grid harmonics. Um, but what they're doing is they're producing hydrogen. And so they actually have a pilot area that they've set out in Markham where they're injecting a small amount of hydrogen in their natural gas supply and they're testing how it's functioning. So I, I think that, yeah, hydrogen um, as a, and I, I don't really think of it as a fuel. I think of it as a, a medium for energy storage. Mm. Uh, I think um, it certainly has an opportunity. Now, there's all sorts of technical challenges around the materials of the pipe and and the devices at the end in the customer um, with respect to hydrogen. But I, I, I think there's there's potential. And at this point, I'm not saying no to anything. If you have an, an idea, you have an opportunity and you think Markram is the right place for you, then I am open to listening and I will see what I can do to make it happen. Um, that's really the portfolio approach we've 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 built. Uh, I think some good respectability amongst our our peers and the utilities, and they know that we're we're innovative and we're willing to move and and try things. So we've got a number of partnerships on the go, um, trying a number of different things, and and that's just one example with respect to hydrogen. Cool. Well, that's great. You know, you know what other question I was thinking about when you were talking about uh, um, sustainable, I will call it. Um, travel i was thinking well does this mean that markham is going to be putting more bicycle lanes in because <laughs> maybe i need to shift where i'm starting to ride <laughs> yeah yeah you know uh we have an active transportation master plan um my colleagues in our engineering department are building that out um and we're trying to get a good network going um you know markham is uh is relatively flat um yeah. you know there's no there's no uh so it's uh it, it can be good for cycling again it's and it's also shifting perspectives. Um, there's a lot of drivers, you know, when I, I live in Toronto and when I, uh, I ride around Toronto, you can kind of see that the drivers are used to having cyclists in Markham. They're not necessarily when I've ridden up in Markham or ridden to work. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a, there's a lot of work to do on behavior, mm. um, and, and, and normalizing cycling. Um, certainly, uh, building the infrastructure and making it safe is, is, uh, is a big step in that direction. I want to talk about you. You beat me to the punch on the behavior thing, Graham, and I wanted to talk a bit about that and understand how that flows out of your uh, municipal energy plan. I mean, we've seen it with industrial customers as an example, where you know they can put in more efficient, you know, utilization of energy or more efficient generation. They can do upgrades, but some of the real uh, champions that we've seen over the last fifteen years for energy conservation in an industrial setting has been those who can really get the change in behavior on the manufacturing floor like can we stop sweeping the floor with compressed air as an example or can we can we close that you know valve that's spewing water onto the floor what what so so behavior clearly i think it's not sexy because they're not spending money but i think it's something that you know has a big impact how does you know that is that part of your plan give us can you give us a glimpse oh of yeah big time that? Big time. Um, you know, I, I almost sometimes I think of myself as a social engineer, more of an energy engineer. It's uh, mm -hmm. uh, shifting minds, shifting culture, shifting behavior is is really, it's almost fifty percent of the game, right? You can you can build a great, efficient building, um, but you can run it like crap. And mm -hmm. you know, because I I had a really efficient building that I took over that wasn't running really well when I was at Earth Rangers and figured out how to run it well. Um, and use the tools and upgrade it and get metering and tracking. And, you know, the culture was already kind of there in that organization. Um, so, yeah, there's a number of things that uh, I, I think you, you nailed it, Matt. Um, you have to have your occupants. You have to have your stakeholders, your your users, your residents. They have to be part of the solution. The, the technology, the hard technology delivery is only part of the game. Um, so we have, uh, you know, one of the I'll give a good example. Um, we, we've been running a battle of the buildings amongst our, uh, our community centers um, for a number of years now. 
And um, the the teams that are in the facilities, they they love it. They uh, they compete with each other for reductions. Um, they're always finding things. They're they're turning things off. They're identifying what might be a new capital project or an upgrade that they want to do. Um, so they have a lot of things that they're finding out of that, and and that is really helpful. And they uh, they love the pizza lunches that the energy manager gets them. Um, <laughs> recognition. In fact, we joined a uh, um, we have an ENGO called uh, Climate Wise York Region, uh, and they're now they're taking that concept and they're blowing it out region wide, uh, and we're starting to compete in that. Um, the other thing that we've done, um, and our energy manager Amanda Martin has built this out. Um, she built the case. So we brought a building automation specialist into the energy team. So this person not only takes care of kind of the building automation strategy, because we had pretty much every system you could think of in all of our buildings, we didn't have a spec previously, moved us to a standard platform, but also works on supporting the operators to optimize their buildings. Um, what's the best way to control their buildings, give them access to the BAS, give them training for the BAS so they have the control, they know what to do, they know how to troubleshoot it. So yeah, behavior is really, really important. We even have a um, onboarding training for our staff when they join with respect to energy and sustainability mm. uh, at work and at home. So cool. we, we try to go after that. Um, it's really important. And I think, you know, and, and it existed before I joined Markham, so I don't want to take credit for it, but we've always been pretty sustainable. We were leading on pesticide bans, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And um, so the culture has been really open to that. And I think we've been really effective in influencing the culture to become ever more sustainable and and more, um, more attuned to emissions reductions. And it really excites me when I see uh, I concepts or project proposals from other departments that reduce energy and reduce emissions come forward. That's to me is a really strong indicator that we're doing a good job at affecting behavior and culture. Mm. That's cool. And how do you broaden that? So, you know, it's hard enough, I would say in an organization like yours to build that within staff and, and folks like that. And then your mandate goes beyond that to really um, in some ways, your customers, right? Like your, you know, the municipality and the residents and the, and the taxpayers. Um, are, are there other strategies? Maybe it's this NGO you talked about. Like, what are some strategies you're doing to engage the 360,000 people that that live in Markham? Yeah, and that is that is like probably my second wicked problem that I've got. Um, one thing that we've done, and, and we did this very consciously, uh, we developed capacities in-house first. We wanted to uh, be able to demonstrate that these are the good things there, and we really go to uh, lengths to explain the savings. So, you know, our energy program is reducing our utilities by $2 million a year now. That's what it's built up to. That's what we're avoiding. Our renewable revenue is $300,000 a year. So we really try to express, you know, what the bottom line savings to the city of Markham, to your tax savings are mm. to put ourselves in a leadership position. We don't want to be, you know, do as I say, not as I do organization with respect to our community. So we've been really trying to de demonstrate leadership with respect to facilities, electric vehicles, EV infrastructure, our business practices, so that when we go out to the community, we can say, look, we're doing it. It's working for us. It's working, right. saving you money. And this is what we've learned. And this is what we think you can you can learn from. Um, so that we've got fairly well in hand. Uh, but then, you know, cracking the nut and particularly in the pandemic, it's very difficult. How do you get to the people? Um, how do you influence them? And in particular for us, how do we get to people that we don't always talk to? So, you know, we go to we go to community fairs, we go to community events, we hold an Earth Day event. And I often see the same kind of people coming year in, year out. So mm. how do we get to the people that it's not top of mind, you know, and everybody's on the hustle, especially now it's really hard with the pandemic. You're, you know, I've got three kids, you're at home, you got your kids, you got online schooling, you're trying to keep the house clean, keep everybody fed and not lose your mind. And the last thing you want to do is get on a Zoom call to learn about how to be more sustainable. So um, these are some of our challenges that we've got. Uh, and we're really trying to figure out how do we reach the rest of our community? 
Um, you know, our, we have an advisory committee uh, made up of community members and they brought us a, a emergency climate declaration. And so we're working through the process. But in that, I went to them, I said, look, these are all the things we're doing, you know, and that's a lot of what I told you guys today. And they're like, wow, we had no idea you were doing this. You have a communication problem. And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, so I've got to figure out how to uh, how to increase our communication bandwidth to, to share what we're doing and what the opportunities are for, for the community to get involved. Yeah, it's a good point you mentioned there, Graham, because it's it's just it's so hard to create that education. And there are some people that obviously care about, you know, the GHG emissions or the sustainability part of it. And then other people just really think about the dollars and cents. And I think that's maybe how you get through to some of these people. Right. I mean, look at the. Uh, you know, the smart thermo uh, thermostats and, you know, things like that. People were driven to really install that. Yes, because there was, you know, some incentives to do so. But when you look at your electricity bill at the end or your your natural gas bill at the end of a month, you know, you really do start to see a difference, um, you know, with with based on kind of, um, you know, the, you know, just what you're what you're changing in your own home. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and I, I, I agree. You know, the, the, the financial is picks up a lot of people. Um, but you know what I think, uh, and I'm seeing this in the, the more sophisticated developers, they're really pitching the comfort, um, and the convenience that these, these net zero or net zero ready or high efficiency homes bring, you know, zero drafts, uh, even distribution of temperatures throughout the home. Um, so that's the positioning that they're going with and, and we're working on following suit um, with respect to, and you know, our next big problem is how do we retrofit the hundred thousand homes that are already existing in Markham? Yeah. And that will certainly be part of the messaging that we'll bring. Are, are a lot of those homes, uh, Graham, are they going to come? Well, maybe they won't come with it, but they're kind of ready to accept, um, electric chargers like uh, you know uh um yeah electric automobile charges chargers like it's good they've got 200 amp services presumably already installed and things like I, that or? yeah that's a that's a good question i don't know you know we haven't dug into the technical issues right now we're we're just working on uh, an application to the federation of canadian municipalities for um uh, funds a grant to support uh, our initial study of what the program should be and what the financing opportunities may be on bill financing things like that um so the the technical challenges with respect to you know service electrical service of the existing buildings is uh something we haven't tucked into i can say though that the new development um that i mentioned with the eighteen thousand homes um and i almost didn't do this uh because the building code required ev chargers or ev readiness for the wiring in the garage um we kept that in, but then the province shortly thereafter removed it. So I was actually oh. glad that we kept the requirement for EV readiness and actually solar readiness in that new development area. Cool. Yeah, I think I think those are great ideas. So you don't have to do that kind of afterwards. Yeah, you know, it's a barrier reduction technique. If you think for, for yeah, my perspective, exactly. how do I make it as easy for you? You don't want to adopt it now. Okay, I get that. You don't want to spend it now, but in the future you may. So how do I make it easy for you to do that in the future? And, right. and readiness spec with respect to conduits or space allocation, um, I think goes a long way. Very cool. On, on the topic of EVs, we haven't talked a lot about transportation, um, but you know, certainly EVs are here, uh, and they're here. You know, certainly for um, you know smaller vehicles. I think is is EV your approach all the way through your transportation? Like you must have, you know, larger trucks and things of that nature, and then and then I, buses as well. I guess. I mean, is it is that your approach the whole way through, or is it kind of a, a CNG RNG play fit in there? Or curious what your transportation approach is. Um, so the city doesn't operate our own bus system. Okay. Uh, it's it's by York Region, uh, so I don't have that that in my scope of control, if you will. Um, certainly moving our, our like light duty fleet over to electric vehicles. Uh, you know, we've done kind of a pilot. Um, we have six to eight, I think, and, and we're looking at more. Um, our fleet guys are certainly seeing that, yes, the equipment is more expensive to purchase on the start, but the operating costs, uh, energy consumption, and the maintenance costs are significantly lower. So, you know, when we look at things from a total cost of ownership, what's it cost to get? 
operate, maintain, and dispose of. And you know, I I believe EVs, and we can build the business case to to that are uh, lower total cost of ownership than a fossil fuel vehicle. So, and I experienced that myself with my own EV. I think I've only spent like two grand on the maintenance of it in the five years I've owned it. Um, and suspension and brakes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're, we're certainly looking at it. Um, you know, we did an interesting thing. We had, we let a waste contract for the overall city out, um, I think late last year. And we put in a, a requirement for them to pilot, uh, emissions reduction technology. I'm actually really like this, this spec of a pilot for third parties that we have a relationship with because it gives them the ability to determine based on their business, what's the best for them to reduce emissions. And, you know, we thought we'd get one truck or two trucks, but, you know, the waste provider is actually looking at, um, F and Co, which is a Quebec based company that does a bolt on capacitor based, um, electric propulsion system for like, like, you know, fast stop vehicles, garbage trucks in particular. Mm. Uh, so they're actually looking at fitting the entire fleet with it. Um, mm. and we're going to collaborate with them for a grant. So um, it's pretty exciting. Um, I like the pilots. I think, like I said, I think they they set the stage well and then um, they can figure it out themselves. So I, I don't like to be specific on technology. I prefer to be specific on performance expectations and then you figure out how to make it work in your business. Mm. You mentioned grants in there, Graham. What you know, we have a we have a new federal budget. Uh, we have you know different provincial budgets. Where, what's the you know you clearly are taking a leadership role as a municipality in terms of changing behavior and, and making your own investments and quite frankly self funding a lot of that. What, what's you, what's your view of where you know different incentive financial incentive strategies fit into our continued transition to a a net zero or post carbon world. I think that you know that this, and I'll use some language from my friends at Nwave and Matami. I worked with them for three years to get this thing off the ground and you know finalize all the agreements. And they look at the grants as an opportunity to de-risk what mm. would be a new initiative that is kind of not in your business plan, um, but it it should make it easier. Again, it's a barrier, right? So if the new technology is expensive or unproven, or you don't know how it's going to work in your business, the grants or incentives should help you de-risk it to a point where it's it's acceptable um, for your bottom line to to try it out. And you know, the um, <clears throat> I think on this fleet measure, if they didn't get the grant, it would be an eight-year payback on the fuel savings. And if they do get the grant, it brings it down to like a four-year payback, mm -hmm. uh, simple payback on the fuel savings. So yeah, they ha they certainly have a place um, to say catalyze or kickstart uh, an initiative or a technology adoption. Very good, cool. Um, and what Lisa's? I'm just looking at our prep questions here, and Lisa's got a great question. Was there anything that came out of the report? Or, or your your plan that you're working on and some of your data collection, something, you know, a stat or a, a, a measurement, something that really kind of shocked you or, or you were surprised to find out as you've been going through this work about your, maybe about your emissions in Markham or, or something else? On the baseline, no, it kind of made, it, it correlates to me with um, what our built form is. Um, so, you know, transportation, and residential um, sectors uh, were our highest in energy use, mm. uh, residential slightly higher. Um, but then when you look at the emissions, uh, transportation starts to bump up because there's a lot more fuel or a lot more fossil fuels in that. So um, it makes sense to me. We don't have a lot of heavy industry in Markham. We have a lot of office. Uh, we call ourselves the high tech capital. So there's not like, you know, a big DeFasco or Stelco or, or massive industrial um plants there's you know light industry and, and assembly and things like that happening so um it, it generally made sense to me one of the interesting things is is the as you cast forward towards 2050 um what our consultants anticipated some of the shifts would be in spending so you know really looking at a reduction in spending on vehicles uh, and vehicle ownership that was one of the assumptions mm -hmm. that they had and what that shift does in moving to anonymous or autonomous and electrification 
um, so that was that. I found that kind of interesting. I'm a bit of a sci-fi nerd, so I like uh, I like <laughs> forward-looking, optimistic things. Very cool. Well, uh, maybe as we kind of land the plane here, um, and you you mentioned kind of looking forward, futuristic. Uh, as we close, what are some thoughts you can leave our listeners for, with in terms of you know the future and and what you see coming, or you know some some thoughts about you know their role in in what what other municipalities or other people in leadership could be doing. Uh, leave us with some uh, some parting words, if you will. Um, you know, I'll uh, okay. I'll draw on, uh, I, I think that, you know, a call to action. Um, you, your listeners, uh, anybody that's actively listening to this is already, you know, they're into this. Uh, and I, I want to tell you that you're enabled to go forward and try to bring change in your organization or in your business, in your home. Um, you, you have a part to play in this. Uh, you can save money. You can help the environment. Um, learn about it, figure it out, dive into it, find, say, for instance, your asset manager, the person responsible for facility renewal in your, uh, in your organization, make friends with them and see what you can do to sensitively evolve investments in your organization. Um, you know, it, it, it should become business as usual, really, this, this type of stuff. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be new stuff anymore. We've been doing it for a number of years now. Um, we're really good at it. There's great companies like your company, um, that are out there that are doing this work and you just have to have a willingness and an ability to express it uh, in simple terms um, that you know this is what we should be doing this is where we're going the federal government is lined up the provincial government is kind of lined up um, local municipal governments are lined up the rest of the world is lined up so let's start rowing in the same direction let's get coordinated let's get organized mm. uh, let's get to it great advice I think Graham yeah, yeah, I love that that call to action, and 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 you know, you guys have demonstrated bias towards action. You know, you you mentioned earlier that you you know you're not shaping just policy, although you might be doing some of that, but you're really going through an evolution, and 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 at every chance, you know, you can a bias towards how can we move the needle, how can we take action to move it forward. So, uh, even giving an hour of your time uh, to our listeners is a bias towards action. So, Graham, thank you. <laughs> very much for, for joining us and it's clear uh, through the uh, radio airwaves uh, your passion uh, for this and it's something that you're uh, clearly demonstrating great leadership in the city of Markham so thank you again for uh, joining us on energy radio today thank you very oh, much Graham yeah thanks for having me it was uh, uh, it was a really fun conversation I really appreciate the opportunity to share what we're doing very cool good good well uh, to our listeners uh, thank you uh, as always uh, for listening and tuning in uh, a great again you've you've been listening to Graham Seaman the, uh, the director of uh, sustainability and asset management with the city of uh, Markham and for our international listeners that's uh, just a little bit above uh, Toronto uh, which is the center of the universe uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's uh, thank you all for listening Mark Charbonneau our man behind the glass Lisa Barber my co-host I'm Matt Lensink and this was episode 55 of energy radio uh, until we uh, chat again, get out there and, and uh, drive some action forward on energy sustainability. Thank you very much.